0: to discuss, but it means that Hashem surrounds encompasses and surrounds all the worlds. So if you recall now you prepare hello? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. That's all you prefer. 17. I was gonna say crime, but not really what's it? It's like what?
1: Okay. okay,
0: so the standard analogy for Hashem fills the world is the different abilities of the soul, how they find expression in specific parts of the body. So seeing eyes, hearing ears, moving yourself around, finds expression where? The
1: body.
0: Your legs moving other things around, hands, right, Okay, now we're going to, right, and then there are things about the soul which don't find expression in a specific part of the body. There's not a localized part of the body. In that sense, they, they don't take the structure of the body into account. Examples of that are delight, pain, will, right? Any part of our body is a medium through which we can experience pain, delight, and will
1: at the moment that we're
0: experiencing. It. Right, but the point is that that there is not a part of the body that you express will with and another part that you express pleasure, is not how it works, right? You can any part of the body can itself be a medium through which the soul expresses these um, qualities of desire of desire and will and pleasure and pain, etc. Okay. All right. So now in the and, and that basically means that that there are aspects in which the soul takes the body into account therefore di- expresses itself differently based on different parts of the body. And there are ways in which the soul expresses itself in a way that does not take the differences in the body into account. And similarly with God, there are ways he expresses himself in the created reality such that different aspects of God can only be manifest, can only be revealed in different parts of reality depending on whether or not the reality is tailored, is suited to that. So if Hashem wants to reveal his majesty, he can't do it in something that is pathetic. Mm-hmm. If Hashem wants to reveal his wisdom, he can't do it in something that is stupid or simplistic. Yeah. I don't know if we're backtracking or off topic, but when we talk about like, how two people obviously are
1: different, but yeah. when it comes to their people,
0: they're not different? I mean, they're different on some level, but yeah.
1: Right. Why,
0: why why are those diametrically opposed? Why can't those two things coexist? They could both be silly and recognize something deep, deep, deep and profound. I would call something silly if there's not
1: like truth
0: to it. Well, in that case, nothing is silly. <laughs> okay.
1: So you're saying, yes, they're, they're recognizing something that the parents aren't capable
0: of seeing. Oh, the parents are capable of seeing. I'm sure the parents are capable of seeing it. <laughs>
1: okay, so are they choosing? Meaning, I feel like
0: the, the issue is like this. The you issue is like guess. this. The issue is like this. One of the things that differentiates a child from an adult, in which case you realize that most people, uh, even though they might be older, are not necessarily fully adults, is the ability to put to, the ability to integrate things, to put different things together in such a way that they all work together. A sense of possession and ownership over something. It is also a surrounding kind of thing. What makes this thing mine and therefore it's related to my sense of autonomy and dignity and all this It's not really, like, what difference does it make this cup, that cup, is no different, right? Um, and in that sense, that's a very deep and profound thing about um, that quality that exists in the human soul That is an, that, that is a, an insight into how Shem relates to the world, for sure okay. um, After all, what is it that makes... Um, what is, after all, what is it that makes certain things holy, certain physical objects holy, certain physical objects not holy? Like, if you examine the objects and their physical parameters, you can't pick up on any difference. Okay. Um, and this is something that exists. What, what makes it silly is that the child is clearly not committed to that and can be bribed out of it with a candy. Okay. Um, and again, adjust accordingly. In other words, in other words... If what the child is picking up on is really true, then you need to now integrate that into how you then conduct the rest of your life. But children doesn't do that. Children are fundamentally fickle. Um, hence the expression is easy as taking candy from a baby.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So all you have to do is find something. as you just find something that is that is that is that that is as, for lack of words, flashy enough to the child, now you have to know each child, right? The candy for one child may not be the candy for another child and you could distract them away from it. That's what makes it silly. And you come back two days later and it doesn't matter anymore. That's the silliness of it. And because the parents are aware of this on some level, they have a hard time taking it seriously. They have a hard time seeing where it's coming from. They see the, the, the reality. The reality of it is the child isn't that invested into this truth. Because if they were, you couldn't be able to distract, you wouldn't be able to distract them. Three days later, it would be the same thing. But the child who decides this is his cup, two days later decides that's his cup. Is
1: hmm. it very respectable that the kid
0: only ever eats from this pink plate and literally will not eat from any other plate? I mean, uh, to be, I'm not a child psychologist, but I having seven children... I would tell you like this, there's, there's things where, where parents decide that they don't want to fight the child because it's just a lot of work and effort, and if that's the case, that's like a judgment the parents have to make. But if it's something that the chi- parents really decide that we are not going to accommodate and the child does not adapt, that seems like it's a sign of something psychologically wrong. A child should not be incapable, like, this is, this is not true, this is not, there's something wrong there. I have kids, and sometimes my two-year-old insists on something, and the amount of effort it would take to distract him like is just, just, you know what, let him have it, I don't care, move on, just too much effort. But that doesn't mean, like, like children are fundamentally, you know, their fickleness also is their great virtue, is that they're very, very adaptable. And so the question is just how much effort do the parents want to put in actually sticking to their guns on something, which is, you know, something parents have to decide. But if you know if it really comes to a battle of wills between you and the three-year-old, and the three-year-old will not eat food no matter what, unless it's on their particular pink plate, I would see a psychologist. Something very wrong there. Okay. Fine. So let's talk about one of my favorite topics. One of the difficult concepts in Judaism is that, is that God created the world. In fact, I'll argue and say that that is the most difficult concept in Judaism. I would say that's arguable. It's a defensible position. Now, why is that such a difficult concept? Why is it a difficult concept? I'm not saying it's difficult to believe. Plenty of people believe it. I'm not saying... Um, I'm saying it's a concept. Something that you can actually make sense of, understand, explain. Why is that a difficult concept? That God created the world. Yeah.
1: Because something came from nothing?
0: That's right. And what does that mean, something came from nothing? Like, like, let's unpack those slogan words that we use all the time. What does it mean, something came from nothing? There was nothing. And then there was something. And then there was something. Now, how did that happen? Really? God. You have no idea? So this, this, there's a lot of times when people say things which usually indicate that they don't understand what they're saying. Okay. So let's just use this as a. Um, if you don't know something, does that automatically imply ignorance? No. For instance, um, you don't know what my twin brother's favorite flavor of ice cream is, correct? But is that correct? You do not know what my twin brother's favorite flavor of ice cream is? Is that correct? You don't know. Okay. Now that's not ignorance. Why is that not ignorance? No, I don't have a twin brother. (laughs) So it's it's, it's not a knowable thing. (laughs) It's not a knowable thing, right? You you don't know what isn't knowable. (laughs) Like like that's not that's an ignorance, right? There's 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 an expression which is that, which is that everything that I know God also knows. Everything that God doesn't know I also don't know. There are a few things that God knows and I I don't don't know, know, but. Two out of three, right? <laughs> but if, right, in order for something to be ignorance, it has to be knowable, and then you don't know it for some reason. But if something isn't knowable, it's like, it's like if you can't see objects in front of you, that's usually a sign of something wrong with your eyes, right? But if you can't see um, abstractions with your eyes, it doesn't mean anything wrong with your eyes. Abstractions don't have... Yeah? So when someone asks you, like, what color is the number two? And you say, I don't know. What does that mean? What is your, how does your mind categorize the number two? Is something with a color that you just happen to be ignorant of? But it's wrong. The number two, does it have a color?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. What? (laughs) That's the
0: symbol you use to present it.
1: Some of us have synesthesia, okay. But
0: even when you you have synesthesia, I've said before, yeah, right? And what's, how many colors are there in your mind that you can differentiate? give me a number mm-hmm. four. four i think you did one on four red r- red orange yellow blue and green oh colors
1: colors so how many like a how many colors
0: do you can you differentiate in your mind so many let's do orders of magnitude more than 10 yes. more than 100. No, okay no, I mean the green. that's right because you're a normal human being and human beings can't actually usually differentiate more than 100 um, colors in their mind, mental. I'm talking about visual when you see gradations. Uh, like in your mind, when they show up in your mind, you, most people can't do more than hundred distinct colors, just mentally imagining them. Okay, and even if you're special, you don't get more than a <laughs> thousand. Now, can you do math to numbers higher than a hundred and higher than a thousand?
1: No. <laughs> can, what you say?
0: Though? Can you?
1: What type of math? Addition. Oh. Addition. <laughs> yes. yes?
0: Okay, so that means your mind is capable of understanding numbers high, right? So that means that the numbers aren't the colors. There's just, like I said before, association. <laughs> you associate colors with numbers. Okay, but the, color, but the numbers are distinct concepts, right? It's not that I ran out of colors so I can't have any more numbers. That's not how it works. Okay. Going back to – so how do you create something from nothing? How does one create something from nothing? Yeah, how do you do that?
1: Unknowable.
0: What? It's unknowable. it's unknowable. Why is it unknowable?
1: Because
0: you can't? Maybe no. there not it, making Okay, let, let's let's, change, never, the let's change the question. Let's change the question. That's we'll get to that later. Let's just How do you turn plastic into a fork?
1: You melt it and then mold it. You melt it and mold it. Okay. How do you
0: turn dead cows into tanya? you grind, grind it up eat it, well, and then you, you take off the skin up. you take off the skin you shave the fur well you can do you eating you can do eating and then that person who's eating the cow the that the cow's cows become part of them then learn Tanya, Tanya becomes part of them so okay you're right anytime i ask you the question how you then give me a process right yeah what is a process a process is how you manipulate something to change it into something else right so every process is the means by which you work with the properties of your initial states and manipulate them and change them to get to some final state, right? Okay, what does something from nothing mean? There's no process. So if there's no process, is there a how? Why is there no process? Because there's no initial state, right? There is a technical profound philosophical word which really captures the essence of creating something from nothing. Poof! <laughs> it wasn't, and now it is. If there is a process by which it came into being, then there, whatever was before that process, is the is the thing and has the properties that are then being manipulated and changed to turn it into something else. In other words, how do you? The problem is that we say something from nothing. We're not really think we're thinking about that. That's like. We're not really thinking about what that means What that means is There's no process It just there wasn't There wasn't There wasn't There wasn't Poof there is There isn't a how that happens There's no How did you turn it not to it is Because the minute you start explaining that you know, What you're saying is There actually was something there That thing had certain properties Had certain potential And then w- That potential was actualized to bring about this new thing, okay? So a corollary to saying that God created the world something from nothing is to say that there's no potential for the world to exist. What's a potential? Something that can be what? Actually, something can be changed into something. So when your parents were told in, in, uh, in uh, parent-teacher conferences that you have a lot of potential, what, what was the teacher saying? No, (laughs) because if you're stupid, you don't have have potential.
1: Ignorance,
0: ignorance, there's a difference in ignorance and stupidity. Ignorance has a cure. Stupidity is a terminal disease. But don't
1: they say you have potential, but...
0: But you're not using it. But that means there's something there, and the process could take place to make it into something more valuable. Right? Does anyone go, normal people... Do people, normal people go to the store to buy pieces of dead trees? That's not usually what people are doing. What do they go to the store to buy? Buyer,
1: for buyer. What? For buyer buy or furniture. No, they,
0: no, but they don't go to the store to buy pieces of dead trees. They go to the store to buy furniture and buy heat.
1: Not the wood, not the woodworker.
0: What, even the woodworker?
1: They're
0: thinking the, you buy the wood. Ah, but, but, but see, this is the thing. What is he buying? He's buying potential furniture. He's buying potential heat. That's what gives it its value. That's what he's going to buy. If you could somehow, met, if you could counterfactually remove those potentials from the wood and just have the fact that the wood is dead tree... What? You always find somebody's like, yes, I do want pieces of dead tree. right? But, but when, when they have the lumber yard, right... The lumberyard as an economic institution is really just saying, right, the lumberyard let me put this away. IKEA is a place you go to buy what? No, to buy stuff that you're gonna assemble at home as furniture. It's not yet furniture. you're buying potential furniture, the lumberyard is also potential furniture, but it's more in a state of potential, right? The forest, as far as the lumber industry is concerned, is also just potential furniture. The right? question is how much the process is required. In fact, if you think about it, most of the things that we value, we, we value because of their potential. How we can engage in a process that turns them into something else. For instance, nobody really, I mean again, there's always the weird person, but regular people are like, you know what's really important to me in life? Putting dead animals in my mouth and tearing their flesh apart with my teeth and then you know having the pulpy remains of that go down my esophagus Aww. nobody I mean, again, there's always the one person who knows people and i'm like this is an important thing to my in my life <laughs> so why do you engage in such a process
1: <laughs>
0: right because that process carries with it right doing that you know it nourishes you it sustains you right it hits all those cool you know dopamine centers in your brain right but like so the value in it is the process that it's that that it's that it's partaking in, right? When you say that Hashem creates the world something from nothing, that means there's no process. That means there wasn't a world, and then poof, there is a world. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: We're going to talk about that hopefully today. Okay. Now. Does anyone know what are some of the philosophical um, principles that are necessary for science? Like, what are some of the things that you have to buy into in order to engage in this thing we call science in the the modern world? Yeah. The
1: world is
0: real. The world is real, yes. The whole idea of studying the world, science presupposes that the world is real. Otherwise, science... Um, dissolves back into phenomenology, right—the study of human experience as experienced by human being. Okay, good. Right. So there's no, There is a world out there. There's some objective reality. Yeah. What else? Okay. Fine. We'll go with that. What? What else?
1: Causality. What? Causality. Like things
0: happen because other things happen. Right. Causality. Right. Yeah. Things have causes. Good. Right. Okay. That one. No. What? Because that actually, for many, many, a long time in science, nobody, they weren't pretty sure about that. It turns out like it's not true. Matter can be created and destroyed. Okay. But there is a different principle which, which, ma- okay, this is called a principle called conservation.
1: Okay,
0: so there's a principle called conservation. Now the question is what is conserved and that you have to do science to figure out what is being conserved. Okay, what that means is like this. If you, any process if it's really a process, then on some fundamental level, nothing's changed. On some fundamental level, there's continuity between before the process and... Right? So, no matter how much is changing, if it's really a process, there's something that fundamentally is staying continuously the same. Okay? Now, when, you, when they've studied the world, for a long time, it seemed like the mass of things doesn't change. No matter what you do... The mass seems to be consistent, so they called it the conservation of mass, that matter can't be created or destroyed. Then they did some more study and realized that's not true. Matter can be created or destroyed, um, and it turns into energy, and then energy can turn back into matter. So it turns out there's this other stuff, and it's conserved, but it can change forms. In other words, anytime there's a process, there's a continuity, you can say, okay, what has remained consistent throughout this process? and what is being changed by this process. And then you do another thing, how do the changes in the final state, how do they tie back to the, to the way things were in the original state? Which means that if you are doing science on anything, what assumption are you making? That you have something, now you have something different, but fundamentally it's the same thing and the difference is because that thing has undergone a kind of a process and what you want to do is understand what is preserved in that process and what is changed in that process and how do the initial state carry with it the potential for the later state. And then you want to develop, generalize that to help you then understand other things until you have a model of how the whole world works. Okay, so is creating the world something from nothing scientific? No. Because what does it mean that the world is created something from nothing? It means? There's no continuity. It is here now. It wasn't there before. And there was no potential. There was no process. Just poof. It's there. So what's there there for the scientists to do with that? Nothing. Now, I'm going to give you an analogy for creation. And the reason why I'm going to give you an analogy is because it's very abstract. But the analogy is a poor analogy because it, 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 it only works from a certain point of view. The analogy is your own life. Okay. Right now, life is going on today. Was life different for you yesterday?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Can you examine your experiences and the events in your life today, and examine the experiences and events in life yesterday and find the continuity the, between them? how the events and experiences yesterday went in the process, which led to the experiences and events today.
1: Yeah? Mm -hmm.
0: From your own subjective point of view, right? So is it fair to say that in your life, today is somehow a development of yesterday? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Leave aside the questions of free will right now. I don't want to get into that messy business. But whatever was yesterday, right? Situations, events, experiences, that are part of your life. As those things change and develop based on whatever characteristic property they have, they give rise to the way your life is today. Yeah. So today is a continuation of yesterday. Does it mean it's the same as yesterday? No. Now, your life exists on many levels. I don't want to get into that, but that's it. So now, if we keep running this backwards, every today, every day of your life, in some sense, was based on the day before. So every day has a yesterday. Which day does not have a yesterday?
1: Okay. What? The first day.
0: The first day of your life. Let's go with that the first day of your life is your birth for argument's sake. I don't want to make a big deal about this. But like you all understand that like a hundred years ago you didn't have a life. So if we're going to focus on your life, at some point your life begins. And at that point we could say that what happened in my life today is basically what happened in my life yesterday. But at some sense, like there is a there is a there was a day of your life that didn't have a yesterday to it. I mean, there might have been a yesterday for other people, but not for you. So as far as you're concerned, you just showed up one day. Poof.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, we all understand that it's much more complicated than that, and that's only applying a certain level of subjectivity to it. It's not it's not really that way. I mean, obviously, um, there, there there is a process by which you came into being, right? Um, But on some very just basic level um, you know two people get married and you know a certain number of months later hopefully There's three people and there's an interesting question like how did you get the third person the third subjective human being? Just like one day. there they were And so subjectively that is a kind of the close that we can get to what it's like something from nothing Right? Try to think about a day where there wasn't a yesterday, a now that doesn't have a past to it. It's very hard for us to do, right? That's the closest you can get to when it, it means something from nothing. There wasn't? Now there is. Now, yeah.
1: But even 100 years ago, we existed in potential.
0: That's why I said that this is as good an analogy as we're going to get. We don't actually have any accurate analogy because there's nothing in our experience which is really, truly like that. To be
1: having subjective reality as...
0: Yes, yes. Subjectively, when you, when, you, when you measure reality from your own subjective experience, there is this quality of something from nothing, which is, you know, there's a certain point at which we have to shift from talking about your life to history. That's a quantum leap. That, 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 that's discontinuous. I can talk about my life today yesterday, the day before, the day before but like when I go back 100 years I can no longer talk about my life I'm talking about this other thing called history I can't talk about my life 100 years ago because my life wasn't so if, my, if I'm grounded in things being real because they're part of my life then in a certain sense there's, there's a, there was a day that had no yesterday which is the first day of my life whatever, that, whatever, whatever day we're going to count that as but now, but the thing is that when we say Hashem created the world, it means objectively speaking, there was a day. I actually know which day it was. Everyone know which day it was?
1: Tuesday.
0: It Sunday. was Sunday. Uh, it was Sunday,
1: 5,780
0: years. And how many months? How many months? Three. What? Five. five months ago? Four? Four? Yeah, but yeah, but how many months ago?
1: Four and a half. Four and
0: twenty-two. Tishrei. <laughs> Tishrei. Cheshvin. Kislev. Tevez. Shabbat five, yeah. Five months and. Yeah. Five months and how many days?
1: Twenty-two days.
0: Well, no, no, because the first of Tishrei is the sixth day of creation, so Friday. So you have to add five days and twenty-seven days. There's the whole month of Tishrei, the whole month of Cheshire, and the whole month of. of the, whole, the whole month of Kislev, the whole month of Teves. The whole month of. Sorry, yeah, all right. Yeah. yeah, it's four months and 27 days. That's it. That day did not have a yesterday.
1: Whoa.
0: Didn't? There was no yesterday. Like, what happened before that? Nothing. Nothing. Like, literally, there's nothing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, if you're, making an empirical, if you're making an empirical argument, okay? This is very important. Empirical means based on experience. There is, once you entertain creation, something from nothing, as, as, as a realistic option, there is no way to empirically show that anything prior to this moment actually existed. Because after all, the only thing that you know about the previous moment is your memories of it. But your memories are your memories now. Which means, by the way, this is very important. How, there's no way to empirically test when, when creation happened. You have to take God's word for it. Like, there's just no. Like, the idea that you could figure out from. There's an analogy I like to use for this, which is if you start a movie, which I'm not recommending you start a movie, but if you start watching a movie, the beginning of the movie, there's a character, right? How old's the character? Some age, right? But when did that character come into existence? Well, let's think about it, right? Like, th- that character exists in the movie, right? And the movie exists because you're watching the movie, right? So before you press play on the movie, like, okay. like day, w- whatever, whatever, the, the movie starts when the character is 37 years old, right? What was that character doing when they were 36? The answer is they weren't doing anything because they didn't exist at 36, mm. right? They started filming the movie at them at being 37. Now, it's true. They're filming the movie of a 37-year-old. So as a 37-year-old, he is living as 37 with, 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 with a full set of memories and experiences as if he had a past. But did he actually have a past or she have a past? No. Right, Unless they make a prequel.
1: <laughs>
0: In which case, you know... <laughs> then
1: everyone gets confused.
0: <laughs> then everyone gets confused, right? Because of continuity problems. Yeah. Once you started taking this idea of creation... That some, then that means that the only moment of reality that you can, you can say for sure is real is the moment you're experiencing now because your awareness of the past is just your recollection of it, which is your recollection at present. Okay. Now, if God comes and tells us in the Torah that uh, I just want you to know I did this thing 5,780 years, 80 years, 4 months, and 27 days ago, just technically you should know that, but... But there's no way you could figure that out. Yeah. No. But there are elements of our existence that are like a movie. Namely, that our existence begins at a particular point. But that point is not a development from, from, from some primordial nothingness. It's a particular point. And prior to that point, there was nothing. God starts reality at a certain point. And that's the point at which reality exists. Yeah.
1: Can we not say that you are being greeted
0: as nothing in the moment? I mean, you can say the question is, is it true? And the answer is it's not really true, no. It's something that gets bantered around by Hasidus a lot, but it's usually a misunderstanding, which has to do with the fact that the fact that has to do with the fact that reality continues to exist as a novelty. So the 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 Again, we have to trust God. Like what, what, this is the thing is, like, once you take creation ex nihilo as a real as, as seriously, it really limits the scope of what you can do with empiricism because the only thing you can know empirically is now. Like there's no there's no now conceptual reason to trust your recollection. Okay. Um so I mean if you take the first verse of the Torah seriously, then you should only trust your memories in as much as they conform with what the creator said and not beyond that. Point.
1: Well, why can't you say that?
0: Are you, are, you asking for, are you asking for an argument why you can't, or, or is it true? Those are two different things. I can make you an argument that he is. I can make you an argument that he isn't. I have no way of, I have no way of resolving that dispute.
1: If
0: you, mean, if you mean in the most simple sense that, God, poof, God creates the world, poof, God creates the world, poof, God creates the world, the answer is no. It's not true. No. Um, because one of the things that God tells us is that there is a continuity to history and to life. Which means that the person that exists now is the person that existed in the past, and if God were to create the world anew at every moment, you would be a different person than the person that existed a moment ago power mm. right, so this is what people will say this, but what it really means xis is that the fact that your continued existence is being perpetuated is an ongoing act of God right 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 it 's a long discussion yeah, it 's a long discussion but an anal- like a bad analogy would be a movie because a movie is not really – there's no continuity in a movie. It's just one image and then a different image. And then you are fooled into thinking that there's, continu- that there's continuity. What it's really much more like, and this is – what it's really much more like is if you throw something in the air, the fact that it continues to go up in the air is because that there's energy of your force put into it. And every additional instant of its upward motion is because of it is because there's more energy there the minute that you of exhaust the energy it reverts back to going down so the fact that you're so it's not that God creates you and then yeah you exist and then that 's it the fact that your existence perpetuates is because there's an ongoing divine act to perpetuate your existence so without that you would revert back to the way things were before you existed. In that So that every analogy only works to illustrate usually one or two concepts, not the entire idea. So this just shows the kind of the, 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 the the kind of dependency that it is. In other words, it's not that 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 the way the movement of the pencil depends on the energy, the kinetic energy that I imbued in it being present there. So to your your existence being perpetuated depends on God's divine creative act. That divine creative act, for lack of words, ceases. Your existence ceases. There's nothing in your existence which would indicate, which which would motivate um, it being perpetuated. And so, the fact that you continue to exist is a novelty. But you're used to it, and I'm used to it, so we don't notice it. But that doesn't mean that God is creating a new thing at every moment because if God's creating a new thing at every moment like the idea of punishing you now for your sins yesterday doesn't make any sense because you I didn't do those things what do you mean the, the, the question is not Kenny the question is just what do you, the words mean this, if God creates a square then it's a square right you can create a circle but then just don't call it a square because that's confusing if God is creating if god is if God is Constantly creating a new thing, then at each moment the thing you have is not the thing you had before.
1: But we are different at each moment.
0: We're different, but we're the same person. This is fundamental to Judaism that you're the same person. But
1: you're not the same person. The experience that you're having
0: at the very moment That's is right. The that yeah, but this pencil is the same pencil. I can hold it this way. I can hold it this way. I can even bend it. These are changes, but the changes are occurring in the thing. I didn't mean that you are. I didn't mean you are unchanged. But the person who was the person the person who yesterday did certain things that person still exists today. That person is different. They've grown, hopefully. They have had different experiences, but it it is it is it is not a different person. I'm a different person than you. It is not that God created someone. Poof, they ceased to exist. And now someone else who looks very similar came into existence. It's not like you are like the, the 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 some sort of like you know. Twin version of the of the self that existed before. No, it's this, there's a con- line of continuity in, in reality at large in each person. This is the idea that the world is built. There's a, there's a continuity to history. That all, all we do is building the world towards a good place. That there's a concept of reward and punishment. You're held accountable for what you did in the past. You're rewarded for what you did in the past. You don't. You're not. A, you're not a new thing um that 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 that, that and, and the old thing ceased to exist. Now what it is true is that you're not static. You grow, you change. And sometimes those changes can be profound. And sometimes those changes can be so profound that what's left of you from the old to the new is very hard to figure out. Like in physical changes, like how do you turn you know how do you turn food into human beings is a very radical change, right? Very few people look at a plate of food and look at human beings and go, oh yeah, I see how that turned into that. But it did. You know, on the molecular level, it's the same stuff, same molecules. In the person, um, in a person, a person has that, 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 that point of self, which is the source of their subjectivity. That I that we spoke about before. That's what stays the same. Yeah, that's the only thing, that's the only thing that necessarily is continuous. Everything else is subject to change. It may or may not change. But that's
1: just the a, a perception of consciousness.
0: Right, but that fact that it's anchored to a specific spot, that spot has a, has a, has a, has a, has a reality to it and that's the you, that's the person themselves. But isn't that only for human No, that's just how to explain it in human beings. If you want to explain it in the objects, then you need to you need to discuss the uh, then you then basically what you need to do is you need to look at how Halacha deals with when we speak about something being continually the same thing or when we speak about something being a different thing. So when we were talking earlier about expanding
1: the sample,
0: mm-hmm. that self referential point starts to expand beyond the No. The object of the awareness expands, but the it, it, the, the, the object of what you're aware of expands beyond you The self-reference doesn't expand beyond you It's still your seichel That will never change Your seichel never becomes my seichel If you get married yeah, You don't need to get remarried at every moment Because you're a new person The marriage that you had lasts until you get divorced Or until your husband dies Because it's the same you Well, or you could say the opposite that 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 self-reference is the most fundamental thing but because it's so fundamental it's the thing that gets unnoticed by the consciousness the consciousness is always looking at the things that are dynamic and changing and so the thing that's kind of opaque to experience is the ground of experience this is the thing that occurs many times is that the stuff that stays the same always and never changes is the stuff that you don't notice so the fact that your mind is yours is, tends to be like the thing that you have the hardest time being aware of. But when you, when, when you think about yourself, we usually think about are things that do change. So like your preferences or your location or, you know, what your body looks like. When
1: we're saying that God created something out of nothing, that something is just
0: the... That's just the well, well, no, the totality of everything that exists. So matter, the trees, the stars... Your, your yeah, you're in terms of human beings, that point of self reference that makes the human being a distinct individual. Yeah. And what was before that was nothing. And that those things are those things are real and they're as continuous as long as God makes them continuous. And so you you, you have yeah, this I mean this 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 safer is a real thing, and when I move it to this hand, it's still the same safer. And when I open it, I close it, it's still the same thing. So this this the the, the okay. so. You have to change before it's not so, so that so 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 the answer to the ans the answer to that is, um, you have to ask the creator of the thing that, that defines the thing as what the thing. At what point is that thing no longer the same thing? I mean, th- this is one of this is one of the important uses of the Torah. How do you uh, you know uh, what? Uh, let's use a very very simple example. At what point is a person no longer a person? At what point a person and now a corpse? I mean, clearly the fact they go to sleep doesn't make me a corpse, right? We're all okay with that. Yeah. And if my body is decomposed into dirt, clearly it's no longer a person. But now, can we debate about things like, for instance, the heart stopping, certain levels of brain functioning? Right? Okay. This is a very this is a very difficult issue. These things aren't subject to these are not, these are not empirical questions. You can't test for these things. What you have to do is you have to have an ontology. You have to have a sense of what are the kinds of things that truly exist. What are their intrinsic properties. And that's something that can either be debated by rational philosophers or imbued into reality by the creator. And then, you know, if you're aware of those things, then you can look and say, ah, you know, those fundamental characteristics are missing. But these are... The, 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 if you start out with a purely empirical approach to things You don't even get the fact that there are distinct entities in the world You're right, 100% There's a famous non-Jewish philosopher who had that observation That if I'm going to only trust my sensory experience And build everything up from that I can't even be, really decide, break the world into distinct objects In any real way True But when God created the world He did create the world as distinct things which is why in Torah we would say that a person who says, a person may, can be wrong about objective claims about the world, that there, there is a, re, there, Hashem does imbue into things reality. I mean, the, the example to this, by the way, is in, in Jewish law, um, speaking of apples, if you plant a tree, how many can you eat the fruit for the first three years that it grows? Okay. What if it's a different tree?
1: Then you'll never
0: be able to eat the fruit. Right. So here's an interesting thing. I have a tree. It's seven years old, so I can eat the fruit. I cut off a branch and I stick it in the ground, which you can do, and then it grows as a tree. Is that the old tree or is that a new tree? Well, first off, is there any empirical way to test that question? It's an empirical question, right? But, but if it's a new tree... Now, all of a sudden, the prohibition of eating the fruit comes back in, because no, I'd eat the fr- fruit for the first three years. But if it's an old tree, then I can't. And there is an objectively right or wrong answer to that question. And, and, and by the way, that also means that God isn't recreating the tree anew at every moment, because if it's a new tree every moment, you can never eat the fruit of a tree. Right? If the apple tree every minute is a new apple tree, the fruit is perpetually forbidden. So it's always like the first moment of its existence. So when, when, when we speak about that Hashem creates the world for nothing, it means there are things. They are, the world is broken up into distinct entities, people, trees, sun, the moon, the stars, whatever. Those things have a degree of flexibility in how they can change. Some things more, some things less. And if they change beyond that point, they cease to exist and other things come into existence. And there is a method to the madness, there are processes by which all that occurs. But that whole thing began at a certain point before that there wasn't any of it and there was nothing that could potentially be that there was just, it wasn't and poof, now there is this whole complex system of reality and if I want to make sure that I'm understanding reality accurately well, thankfully Hashem, who is the creator of that system gives us a Torah which tells us how that system actually works so I know if I'm getting it right or I'm getting it wrong and it turns out that the system is more complicated than I would like to believe which makes your head hurt when you're trying to understand how it all works now is there any is there any way to derive everything I'm saying from your experience no but if you're going to be able to go the hard empirical route there's nothing to derive you can't derive anything other than the fact that I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing at this moment and that's it
1: but I'll and
0: the Torah, no he didn't no he didn't You derived the Torah rationally there's a difference Rationally means that you access some other part of yourself which seems to be a repository of truths that are immaterial. Mm-hmm. Using the process of and not That's not built on experience. But how is that not experience if you're accessing part of your experience? Your, well, so, so I w- your experience? Well, so, I mean, we're gonna go in circles because every particular point of view is gonna have their own way of, of, of categorizing these things. But there's someone who makes a distinction between between empirical um, knowledge and rational knowledge. There's a very big difference. Rational knowledge is found through introspection and comes from within. And empirical knowledge has to be observed by the senses. And a person takes rational knowledge seriously sees that as an independent source of things. So, and there are many things which you can't directly experience. Like you can't experience causality. You can't experience one thing causing another you just experience that there's something and then there was something else and something in your mind tells you that a caused b now the question is do you take that something in your mind very very seriously and what why do you take it seriously and so if you look at how the ram describes it, is that the ram describes avram as being deeply deeply rational is that he there was a tremendous amount of introspection of pulling things out of himself um, and asking himself, well this wouldn't make sense and this wouldn't make sense and this wouldn't make sense but how does he know what makes sense and doesn't make sense? Somehow that's already been imbued on some level of his mind that he's accessing through his reflection and and contemplation. Um, One of the changes historically that happened uh, in the 16th, 1700s is that there was a shift to try and ground things more and more empirically what you can experience with your senses. And yeah, went if you take that to all the way to its extreme, what you're left with is the only thing that I know is I'm experiencing certain degrees of certain kinds of sensations of color and sound and shape. And beyond that, all the rest is just a figment of my imagination. So it's pretty extreme. And Abram was like the exact opposite, that you know, the experiences of my senses need to be circumscribed with what makes sense to me rationally. And if and if something doesn't make sense to me rationally, I should be suspect that my senses are really informing me accurately. And we do that all the time, right? Like, for instance, when you look at the sun and see that it's small, you don't conclude that it's small, right? You, you say, well, wait a minute, just because it appears small doesn't mean it's actually small because, you know, it makes sense that for things further away occupy less of my field of vision, right? That's using rational thought to circumscribe and limit how you, much you take that you experience. You still have to
1: experience based on.
0: Yeah. Which it creates the whole issue of epistemology, how those two things relate. But but, that, that's what I'm but there's a whole bunch of different views on this subject. Like there's, no, there's no way I'm going to give you a history of like every single view of, of epistemology and how these things interact. But if you're going to learn Torah, the, the Torah clearly takes the view that there are real objects in the world. There's, there is such a thing as a human being and that's not just a figment of your imagination. The human being's life on some fundamental level is continuous and therefore there's reward and punishment and continuity of personhood and ownership and all these interesting kinds of things. And you can be objectively right or wrong about your perceptions of the world. And all of that has a complex way that different entities are created and destroyed and turn into other entities and change without being created and destroyed and grow and, and all that. But all of that process can be understood, but there's a point at which none of this was. And there's no process to go from, from, the, from it not being to a being, it just, poof, it is. And now that it is, people function as people and animals as animals. And they change in those ways. And the only way, when you take that idea seriously, you really have to put both your empirical and your rational mind and say, okay, well, if the whole reality is created, poof, that I have no real way to be the arbiter of reality on my own. I have to, because for all I know, I was created right now with the experience of having had this conversation for the past five minutes, but never really happened. How would I know? So I'm really at a loss to arbitrate reality. And if the creator says this is reliable and this isn't, then I trust him, that's great. And if I don't, then, you know, I'm like wandering around in a sea without a compass. That's kind of the perspective that Judaism has on the matter. That's not an argument that this is true. That's just that's just what it says. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, is it incorrect to say that I should never stop
0: reading? That? One second. I wanna I wanna introduce a another idea. That took longer than I wanted, but. Okay. So when we talk about the pencil, up to now, i have been speaking about the pencil versus the wood that it's made of. Yeah. There's a process how you turn wood into a pencil, right? or animals into people or you know paper into books whatever it is right but there's also something else so that's like the, there's also something else which is um, the cause like which is okay if you just leave pencils if you just leave wood to its own devices it does become a pencil
1: no
0: if you leave paper to its own devices it become a book no something has to make the change occur does that make sense? So there is the process of change and then there is the maker of change. Two different things. If you want fancy words, this is the difference between what's called potential and agency. The potential is that which will become something and the agent is the one that actually is responsible for it happening. So now, when we say God created the world from nothing, what was the potential that, that was then changed into the, into the world? Nothing There was no Not nothing There was no potential Just poof there's a world But is that still a change That first there's nothing And then there's something like, Is it a different state of affairs First there's nothing And then there's something Okay And if you just leave nothing On its own Does it all of a sudden Poof turn into something So does something have to Be the agent of change To make that transition From nothing to something Who's the agent of change That makes that transition God but isn't that a process? Not the way no, really no, 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 find it. no, no, it's not a process. It's what's called an explanatory principle, which means like this. If I have nothing, and all I have is nothing, then all I end up with is? So if I started with nothing and now I have something, can that be the whole story? Or does it have to be something else part of this picture to something make, something it exp- make it make sense? Okay, so what's the explanatory principle of how you go from nothing to something? God, But now, is that, is that a process by which he transforms the nothing into something? No. no. In fact, I have no idea what God is doing that makes something be. I just know that if you all you had was first nothing and now something, that is an incomplete picture. That doesn't make any sense. That's like saying, it, I had wood and now I have a pencil. Well, that's not a whole story. Like What explains how the pencil, wood became pencil? Craftsman. What explains how the paper became book? A binder. What explains how you how if you didn't have anything and now you do have something, how did that, not how did that happen, but why did that happen? What explains what makes that possible? You need a third entity, an agent of change, something to explain that mm-hmm. that occurred. And so God is why there's no longer nothing and now there's something. But I still don't know what, what, what happened. Because there isn't a process by which you change the nothing into something. Yeah? On song
1: comparing Hashem to all these different craftsmen, but they all, I think, my recollection, have a material. So is that song covering lots of things that Hashem does, but not the creation of the world? Correct.
0: That's talking about how he governs our lives. So we're taking the fact we exist. There's a different part of the prayer which um, addresses more the, the, the idea of creation where um, it says that when you compare God to a person that's like that, 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 that God is eternal and a person is like a passing shadow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, once a shadow is passed, what's left?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. It's like a shadow is the result of something else. It isn't a thing in its own right yet. Yeah. no that's talking about his governance of our lives what happens to us but it's taking us at that point for granted okay. this is like I told you the beginning it's a hard concept so now if I were to tell you that there was wood and the wood turned into a pencil and the jello that my nine year old made for Shabbos is the one that turned the wood into into a pencil would you believe that why not Like right. Jello doesn't have whatever is necessary to turn wood into pencils, right? There's some special qualities you need to be able to be the agent of change for that, right? If I told you that my nine-year-old turned some wood into a pencil, is that believable? Yeah, I mean, probably not as fancy and as nice as this. Probably wouldn't look more craft, you know, homemade. But yeah, that's believable, right? Um, if I told you that the ingredients in my um, have I told you that the ingredients in my kitchen were turned into a cake by a mouse is that believable?
1: no, it's not really believable
0: okay. so you ever, you ever hear the story of Avram where Avram um, is left watching all the idols okay what's the depth of this story? like it's a cute story but what, like, what, 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 what was Avram really saying? the before state is you have a bunch of these nice Statues made of wood and clay, right? And then afterwards, all the statues are in pieces.
1: Up a, a sheep. It's hard a sheep to
0: no, but that's not. That wasn't the point that Abraham was making to his father. Point I'm making: really, I have statues. Have sh- can't- I have statues. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use this without using the word God at all. It's very important. Like, the word God, it's like it confuses people. They have statues. Now I have, now I have pieces of broken shards of stone and pottery, right? And his father says, how did state A turn into state B? Now, there's two questions here, which is, was he asking how does stone and clay statues have the potential to become shards? He wasn't asking that. He was asking what was the agent of? What explains this change? What's, there, there's another, something ha, else has to be present to explain how A became B. Not the how in terms of process, but like, why didn't A just stay A? Right? That sense of, right? And what does Avram say? The statues! That statue, that's the explanatory origin. That statue broke these statues and turned them into the shards. And his father says that doesn't, no, no, A statue can't explain things. A statue is not an explanatory principle. The presence of a very large statue with an axe in its hands <laughs> does not explain how what used to be statues are now shards any more than a mouse explains how ingredients became cake. Right? Or jello explains how wood became. So, his fa- so he says to his father, Oh, really? So a statue can't explain something as simple as how a statue becomes a shard. Then how is it supposed to explain how our lives function? So if that's the case, why are you worshiping it? Whatever you're worshiping should explain how things are the way they are, right? The agent of change. Okay, now if God creates the world something from nothing, then God, is God changing things into different states? Or is he changing that there wasn't something, now there is something? Okay, so if I told you that my nine-year-old son created the world something from nothing, is that believable? Mm-hmm. Why not? That's
1: mm-hmm.
0: nah, not what Why can't the mouse make cake? Doesn't have the, whatever is na- whatever the whatever the properties are that give you the power to make that change doesn't have that power, right? Okay. What kinds of things have the power to make something from nothing? What kind of things have the power to just poof things into existence? No, no, no. I want you to answer the question without saying God.
1: Divine.
0: It's just divine. Just fancy word for God. Here's the answer, and this is what makes it very hard, is you can't come up with an answer. Do you know why? Because there's nothing in our empirical experience or rational minds that works like that. Nothing. Even
1: in our rational minds?
0: Even in our rational Which is why, you know why the Greeks, you know the Greeks' the main problem with Judaism? The main? the main conceptual problem they have with Judaism? It's irrational,
1: so
0: because he had a godly soul, and so he accesses godly soul with his rational mind. There's a whole debate in Jewish philosophy: is the, the idea that Hashem created the world ex nihilo, out of nothing, really a rational idea? You're well, I'm I'm saying on a very strict basis, it's not. Even even, uh, you know, the closest the, the closest you know, the Jewish philosophers will get to say that it's rational, is that everything else is more irrational. Because, like, when you think about how, how do you make a cake, you have the ability to work with ingredients and understand what a cake is, right? And you, when you think of every agent of change, they have some properties that relate to the state one and explain how, and, and change it to state two. But if you're working with nothing, how do you all of a sudden end up with something else? Like What what, what do you have to have about yourself that enables you to do that? What power do you have? And the answer is we don't know. Which means like this. This pencil is real. According to the Torah, it was created something from nothing, right? So what power did God use to create something from nothing? A power that I don't know what it is. Which means right now, as part of this pencil, there is something that I have no idea what it is. But, I, but what I do know is that without that God's power to make something from nothing, this pencil wouldn't be here. And what is that power? I don't know. And does this power care that it's a pencil? It doesn't matter that it's a pencil, right? After all, if you're making something from nothing, it doesn't really matter what you're making. Once you're making something from nothing, like, what difference does make whether you're making a pencil or a book or a? But
1: it's
0: That's true, but the, you need a separate power to make pencils and a new power to make books. No, because what are you doing? Right? This power to create reality from nothing, I can't... It, this is what I mean. It, it, it's not part of the reality. I can infer that it's there if I take the fact that Hashem created the world out of nothing seriously, but I can't actually get a handle on what it is. I don't, it doesn't express itself as part of reality. That's why we don't say... This, this is what we mean when we say that Hashem encompasses reality or He surrounds reality. That this part of reality isn't, is, this part of godliness isn't really present in reality. This is where you get the fact that God is just really different than us, fundamentally. I have all sorts of abilities. Abilities to turn, you know, ingredients into food, to turn wood into furniture, to turn experiences into ideas, to turn ideas into classes. I can make all sorts of changes, but I'm always, I have all these abilities to turn things into other kinds of things. I don't have the ability to make reality from, from nothing. And I don't even know what that kind of ability would be. But if the but if reality if reality didn't exist, now it exists, some then there has to be some entity with the with, with the ability to make that poof. And that special poofing power is the power of the God creating and perpetuating the existence of everything at every moment, and it's present in everything, and we have no idea what it is or how it, or, 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 or But you know there is an we know that it's an ability. It's merely because that's the conceptual box that fits in our minds. It's the thing that explains how, if you start with nothing, you end up with something. Something has to have the ability to make that shift happen. This is very, very hard. And when you start thinking about God this way, God becomes very transcendent. So whereas last week we spoke about how God, everything experiences really godliness, God is very imminent, the more you start thinking about this, the more God seems very remote and very far and very alien. Kind of like what's over the horizon of your mind. Now, is it the same God or two different gods? The same being who everything you're experiencing really is just infusing some of his goodness into reality is the very same being who has this other ability to make reality be and therefore is totally alien. So is God very, very familiar or very, very alien? The answer is yes. Or is the way it puts it in the Zohar... God fills the worlds and surrounds the worlds, or God descends to the lowest places, and God is higher than the highest places. Okay? And a key thing here is that these are not two different beings or two different levels of God. These are, in fact, the one same being. Expressed differently if you're adopting whose point of view? The world's point of view. Right? Because there are things that are beyond our ability to. In- Be part of our experience of reality, and things which are, are which literally make our experience of reality. But that distinction is being made because you're adopting whose point of view? Ours. But if you're adopting God's point of view, who's to say that those are in fact two different things? All right.
1: The ability is that's creation.
0: The ability, right? this surrounding thing is God's ability to create out of, create something that was did not exist even in potential. And don't ask me what that is because. Don't know. I don't know. So that quote again is Hashem descends to the lowest parts of the world and low so and is high. It just sends the lowest parts of the valley and is higher than the highest. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>